0: Media. Hello and welcome to a very special show
1: it's the Offside Rule WSL edition with football manager it's Kate Borsay here and me Lindsay Hooper plus many delegates because we're at a Raise Your Game event at Stamford Bridge all off the back of International Women's Day 2020 this is what's coming up on today's show as well England get their She Believes campaign off to a difficult start after defeat
0: at the hands of a dominant USA, but the Lionesses did get a late winner against
1: Japan on Sunday. We've got our first managerial casualty in the WSL as well as Birmingham pull the plug on Marta Theodore's managerial reign. And we take a closer look at the other
0: stories making the headlines in the women's game, including a very exciting development for the blue half of Merseyside. Well as Lindsay said that noise that you hear in the background pizza lunch is served here at Kick It Outs Raise Your Game event focused around International Women's Day so it's only right that we bring on another special woman she is one of our Offside Rule clan Lindsay Hooper it is football journalist Florence Lloyd-Hughes I feel like this is a coming of age
2: Flo I know it really is I've graduated the <laughs> Offside Rule School of uh, Personal Development you've got, you
1: got the uniform memo as well from
2: Kate Yeah. yeah so massively. basically Flo
1: and
0: I are wearing Wearing identical grey jumpers and black bottoms. Uh, Lindsay didn't get the memo. She looks much more glamorous She's than I today. She's for a Chelsea today.
1: blue. I, went, I thought, dress for where you go. That's what I
2: thought. <laughs> I'm dressed for the weather, the grey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very wise indeed. Uh, of course, we're
0: sponsored by Football Manager. Um, Flo, you told me once that you lost... Quite a large part of your youth to football manager.
2: Massively, massively. <laughs> I was quite addicted to the game actually, and my whole teenage years uh, I played a lot. And there was one Christmas where my brother and I spent most of it in our pyjamas constantly playing football manager. I over bet your mother loved love that. Yeah. Was
0: there a particular team that you managed? So
2: I would do, I'm a QPR change. fan, so right. I would do QPR, but then I'd always try and go look for the journey. You know, find someone, (laughs) maybe non-league, York City, where can you take them? What's the journey you're gonna go on with this team? first year of uni I did play and then my computer started not really liking the game because it's a huge database yeah and you if if you're going to play the full desktop version you've got to have a computer that can handle it and my computer just started sort of going into meltdown a little bit because it couldn't (laughs) handle my incredible scouting network (laughs) Uh, so I gave up the first year of of uni my grades got a lot better I want to
1: know how good were you and I mean talk us through some of those signings early days that you made
2: so in the old days of Football Manager, we had an edition from the 90s that we used to play right up until probably about 2006. I going to say, how, how long ago is this? So we had, we had Football Manager 98. Yes. And I had some Premier League sticker books, Panini ones. So what we would do is we would find really good players from the early sort of 2000, 2003 so Robbie Keane and we go oh where was Robbie Keane Wolverhampton Wanderers. that's where he was and then we'd go and sign players like that and sort of cheat the system by using our Panini modern books as a scouting system (laughs) against an old version of the game game. brilliant but Football Manager 98 is a very good edition of the games old school but simple effective the game is obviously extremely complex now in a great way it's really realistic and I think you know your wife or your partner can divorce you in the modern format so you need to careful you can go on holiday you can take time out for you mental health yeah. yeah it's can you very- get the huge payoffs I hope so. <laughs> I haven't played in a while, but I expect you probably could.
0: <laughs> well, thank you to Football Manager for backing this WSL edition. You'll hear the murmur of people in the background throughout the show today. Uh, Lindsay Hooper, what's being served for lunch? We've mentioned it already. What else apart from pizza? pizza? I've seen those mini burgers. You know, Ooh. just a mouthful <laughs> or two if you're trying to be ladylike. The food's always great at Stamford Bridge. Oh isn't yeah, it? always good. It's always good. it is a big part of the reason why we're here, and of course, kick it Out's raise your game event as well. And we've uh, will uh, hear various snippets from from the event today as well as speak to the organiser Troy Townsend from Kick It Out and the host Anne-Marie Batson friend of the show
1: but first back to WSL or as it isn't this week because it's She Believes Cup more so Uh, we've got to start out in the USA and how the Lionesses have got on
3: now is a chance from the mistake by England and Telford rescues her country and England eventually stab stabbed it away with Greenwood and a f- the referee's blown. Big chance there for the USA. Good goalkeeping, she started so well, Carly Talford. he, Oh, Telford, should hear it from the USA. Press, lovely back there for 1-0. World champions ahead. Too much room, too much time, too much space. England pay the penalty, 1-0 to the USA, seven minutes into the second half. Kristen Press. Press. Run again. Oh, lovely ball, Carly Lloyd, and that's what she does so supremely well. One of the greatest goal scorers the game has ever known. And she makes it 2-0 to the USA.
4: England's trying to find Lauren Hemp. Oh, that's a mistake from Japan. Hemp is in! Corner kick, the goalkeeper did have to make a save. Lauren Hemp, so close to her first senior goal for England that's a mistake England she should have scored it was a good save from the keeper too close to her England making her move Beth England, another good save from the keeper this could be an opening Duggan, white and there it is finally the breakthrough with eight minutes left of normal time Another huge error from Japan.
0: So mixed fortunes for the Lionesses. Then a 2-0 defeat at the hands of world champions USA before leaving it late against a tricky Japan side. 1-0 the win there in New Jersey. That was on Sunday even. We've got one more game to go against Spain this week to help take us through the She Believes. I know you were um, doing a bit of a Telegraph Instagram takeover yesterday, Flo, on this, uh, on the uh, England-Japan game. But let's digest more holistically I suppose about the fact that we are potentially all feeling a bit underwhelmed by this Lioness squad at the moment we'd hoped hadn't we for some big
1: headlines and we haven't got them I'm going to be a a voice of reason in all of this and say that USA, it depends on what angle you're coming at this from. I think USA is still head and shoulders the best team in the world. They're the world champions. They've, They've not conceded a single goal since the World Cup. They've gone undefeated since the World Cup victory as well. And it's been a completely different story for Phil Neville and the Lionesses. They've not had a very good campaign since the World Cup semi-final at all. So I thought, for the goals to come as they did in the second half there was nothing that Carly Telford could do about that Kristen Press goal it was fantastic and I thought Carly Telford was brilliant throughout the match to lose 2-0 was that a travesty I don't think so I think we were assessing ourselves more against Japan and certainly will be more so against Spain Uh, Flo for you it wasn't the
0: result that knocked me the most I guess it was the lack of cohesion within the England side I think You know, ahead of the Olympics, not too many months away, and of course our home Euros, we'd all expected to see some development, to see some growth and some ambition to see the team move forward after what have been a really tricky set of results since the World Cup.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think there was an element of the team looking fairly disjointed, which is no surprise when a key player like Lucy Bronze is out injured and The team isn't built around her, but she plays a massive part going forward and defensively. So that is obviously a big blow. In the USA USA game, Leah Williamson was playing out of position at right back. Not ideal for her, and I think it's unfortunate that she's a fantastic defender and she had to step up into a position that she ideally wouldn't want to be playing in. And I think that, for me, I am concerned about the Steph Houghton-Millie Bright partnership. It was exposed during the World Cup, and... There is a bit of an issue with them as a centre back partnership. Two fantastic defenders at club level. Yeah, and actually and he really was better against Japan. Yeah, and it's strange how they can't come together as a unit in the international stage obviously there's other players that's be, that have been fed in for these games who haven't played in the group for that long or didn't feature during the World Cup so there's a little bit of kind of movement and playing around and having to work with not having Lucy Bronze etc and Beth England now coming in to play so I don't think there's really a, a sort of consistency to mm. the team which is unfortunate because it's hard to progress if you haven't got everyone in you place that got you'd got like those to kind have of mainstays there. Um, but I think you know Lindsay touched on it the goalkeeping element is a real positive. Carly Telford had a fantastic game against the USA despite those two goals she conceded and Ellie Roebuck last night was really solid. Yeah. 20-year-old keeper who's had to step up at Man City because of Karen Bardsley injury. So that's a real positive because goalkeeping is in a position that has so many eyes on it all the time. So much pressure and throughout the World Cup everyone was talking about goalkeeping and is it getting better? Is it getting worse? So it's nice at least to have a really but great variety to choose from. Yeah, and and that's the
0: benefit of full-time goalkeeper coaches Lauren Hemp as well Lindsay another Mm. plus point from that USA game for someone so young and Phil Neville said it as well she doesn't appear phased at all and she's slotted in really well she
1: has and I think we could level that a lot of players that have come through in recent years Georgia Samway Kira Walsh, I think a lot of them, when they've had their opportunity, have looked set for it. Mm. They've got a mature head, like you say, unfazed. I don't think there's much that's really worrying them um, when they come into that senior setup. And that probably is credit as well to the, the systems below. You know, Mo Marley did a lot with the England under 19s and under 21. So you, you've had that elevation through the levels with England. And those that have come through the England setup, I think, have slotted in brilliantly. I also thought that the first game against USA wasn't quite the true reflection because let's look at the She Believes Cup and when it's fallen in the season. It came right after the Continental Cup final. Beth England was never going to play that match, even though she's the form striker. We saw Ellen White do what she does very late on in the game against Japan. And that was great to see, but you're not really playing them together because they, they're very similar players, so there has to be an element of rotation there. It made sense for Beth to not play in the USA one mm. and then come in for Japan. Although
0: Neville was roundly criticised for that, but then I'm going to counter that with the fact that USA are in their off-season. They've had these Olympic qualifiers, but they do not look like a side that's in their off-season, do they?
2: Oh no, it's, it's terrifying how good <laughs> they are when some of them haven't really played a lot of football over the last couple of weeks. And, last night when they played Spain. I thought Spain looked fantastic last night and I, I think England could be a bit worried about when they play them mm. this week. But Rapino Megan Rapino, who has not really played at all and is a really a second-team selection now, she played last night and USA still looked pretty strong. They struggled to get things going, but then you've got players like Julia just stepping up and showing their class. Yeah, she's so absolutely physical, essential. So physical, so perfect. I mean... If you want to see an example about how to read the game, yeah. she is the prime example. And, and I actually
0: think Blacko Andonovsky is building that team around Juliet. As you can see with not only the way she's linking up with the players around her, but with how she's telling players what's going on. She's reading the game two steps ahead, and she's someone that I've, I've long admired Juliet, mainly because she completely bossed it at the World Cup, playing out of position. I didn't think USA were that great against England. Of course, we did see Lauren Hemp. And in the game against Japan, we saw Phil Neville start with Chloe Kelly. Uh, We saw Beth England start as well in that game, as well as Lauren Hemp there too. So he went for that younger lineup, but had to resort to Tony Duggan, Ellen White, and some of the more senior players towards the end of the game to get the job
2: done. Yeah, I think bailout is maybe a bit of a a harsh word but Ellen White makes the most of her opportunities and unfortunately against the USA she didn't get many opportunities I think she had maybe a dozen touches on the ball she barely touched the ball against the USA she's clinical but we've got to create those opportunities there was a lot yesterday of just long ball John Nobbs incredible distribution, she had a fantastic game yesterday and for someone who's coming back from a serious injury, she still looks really good but she was trying to just sort of punt it up the field to Beth England yesterday and try and, and catch... And is that where
0: we're lacking in this midfield area, Lindsay? You know, why is it why did Jordan Nobbs seem to be running everywhere and we weren't seeing, you know, particularly because of the strength of players available, Jill Scott, Kira
1: Walsh, why isn't that, why why doesn't that midfield look creative enough? It, it's not gelling and I don't think that there are too many midfielders that have different roles and that's part of the problem. Everyone's trying to do the same thing. We all need those inventive midfielders that are picking out passes and seeing things. I think everything working through Jordan is great but have you got enough pace in that midfield at the moment? Enough bravery sometimes I think it can come down to. I used to think that the midfield was England's strongest area. I now think it's probably the weakest and I think that's how the defence sometimes gets exposed as well. I think they've missed Farrah Williams um, when she's not being in, in there and I think they miss Jill Scott when she doesn't play. Um, and Beth Mead as well who's injured now. It's a massive, massive. So you've lost that lost that width as yeah. well. Yeah. From Beth Mead. I mean coming to the Japan game in particular, I felt that it's really difficult to say because you, you probably see more of the old guard coming off the bench and thinking, oh well they got the job done. I would argue that Japan have looked defensively frail throughout this She Believes Cup. And the last 15 minutes of the game in particular, they started to fade even more, I thought. It was very fortuitous, the way that England ended in that goal. It was an error, yeah. And I think Japan really tried to stay on their concentration for for long periods. But by that point in the game, it was really starting to lapse. And these are young players that I I was expecting more from, from Japan's national team at the moment. Especially ahead of the Olympics. Yeah, I I, I didn't see that. I don't think it was a huge test in that regard. I was more pleased to see the clean sheet from England's point of view.
0: Let's talk Spain. This is uh, the next game coming up in this tournament, England's final game. Just looking at the squad, we're yet to see uh, Grace Fisk and Alessio Russo, two of those younger players. Might we see them in this game against Spain or is there too much riding on it? Because let's be honest, you know, Spain were, were bright in the World Cup. They certainly surprised a few people. And they've given a good account of themselves so far in this uh, tournament especially against japan
2: yeah definitely i think uh, the japan and usa games they look really really strong they were unlucky at the world cup they had to face usa straight in the first knockout game and that's that's obviously a tough draw They only lost 2-1 I think and they had a narrow loss against Germany 1-0 in the group stages so they're a strong team. They have a very strong style of play as well which they stick to but they create problems. I think Mappy Leon was fantastic last night. A really, really, really good player and I think She stole the show a little bit. And I I felt it was unfortunate for them because to get a point against the USA would have been a fantastic result. And I think they've progressed a lot since the World Cup and the same can't be said for England. And I know Neville's normally said... He said everyone's part of the squad and yet he'll still pick the strongest team. But I think at this time, he'll definitely rotate and try and play some of the players that haven't had minutes yet because Mm. he very much wants everyone to be part of this unit, everyone to be part of the squad. And... At the end of the day, it's it's a friendly exhibition tournament. It has a lot of stages. I'm not sure, though. I'm not sure that it is for him. This is the first tournament that he won
1: with the Lionesses. I think he went out there very much wanting to defend the title. There's so much that he has to concede by looking at that result and the performance against USA that perhaps they're not where he thought they were going to be you don't get anything and I think he acknowledges that from just handing out caps and experiences
0: he is is big into winning isn't he he's big into winning if
1: that's what he's preaching which he did pre-tournament that he wants England to be the ones challenging USA as the best team in the world if that's something you're sticking to you've got to put your best 11 out there but then why is he mixing up so much in between games I don't think he knows his best start in eleven.
2: I oh, think that's what it comes down yeah. to. That's definitely
0: to. true. I also think he's probably looked at Japan and thought, "Do you know what? I'm going to give the youth a go." And you know he did. You know his attacking line were all young players, and then he's got that get out of jail card with Ellen White, Tony Duggan, etc. coming on um, if he needed them, and he needed them last night. He's also spoken, Lyns, about togetherness, about the importance of this squad being together. We sort of hearing some of the same classic Phil Neville sound bites. Is he where he needs to be with this squad? Let's just be brutally honest about here. Are we expecting too much?
1: Look, they're professionals. They are professionals. They've got to go and do their job. Are they as together as the team that we were out at Canada's World Cup in 2015 with? No, I don't think they are. I really don't think that they are as together and they can say all they want to us if they come on that they are, but I don't believe it. I, you know, from France in the summer, there are a few breakaway groups. I think everybody gets on. and I'm not disputing that for, for anything. I think everyone has that that common theme of football that they can all talk about but there are friendship groups and of course when you when you've got a, an array of ages there's going to be younger players mixing with older players but when it comes to friendship groups and time out you're going to go to the groups that you've known and spent many many tournaments Do you with. you think it's getting cliquey? I don't know whether I'd go that strong yet, but I think when you've got some players that are playing abroad, it hasn't helped that you know we've got a lot of the senior lionesses now play in France, they play in Europe, or they play in Tony America. Tony Duggan playing at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, and I think bringing Rachel Daly into the side, I think he's one of her biggest problems because I think she's one of the most talented and I still don't think he knows where, where to play yeah, her. Yeah. And she should be, in my mind, a regular starter. She should be in the, in the 1-11 to for this game
2: against Spain. But w- what position? I think last night she was playing in that right-back role which Neville sort of flirted with during the World Cup a little bit. She's
0: being that Lucy Bronze in yeah. again, but that's not her position no. in the
1: NWSL.
0: No.
2: She scores goals.
1: Yeah. And she's a good goal provider as well, and I think it's a bit of a waste. To and have that's her the filling biggest in. problem,
2: right? Is on paper, England's squad is ridiculous. Any other coach in any other country would be dying, pretty much, apart from the US, who have a, a you know an abundance of talent, would be dying to have that squad, and yet can't seem to make it all work, can't seem to patch all these things together. And for me, it echoes some of the challenges that Sven-Goran Eriksson had with that golden generation of England men, which on paper, unbelievable. You know, that was a massive opportunity to win major trophies, and they didn't get it done. And I, it sort of feels like history's repeating itself a little bit because I never don't think, you know, obviously... There are people who've maybe been covering the women's game longer who would be able to say we've had better talent. But I can't think of another generation like this with the money behind it, with the support, with the professionalism. With,
0: I think we've had equally as talented players. If we look back to the generation of Kelly Smith, Alex Scott, Casey Stoney, Laura Bassett, you know, there have been some incredible talent within the women's game. Were they as fit? Were they as developed? Were they as technically brilliant as our players are
1: allowed to be today because they're playing within a professional game? No, they were dealing with being part-time players. Good point. And here's a player that they're missing, Kaz they're missing Karen Carney. what she bought when she came on even when it towards the latter stages of her international career was as a substitute she would change a game she immediately looked like one of the best players on the pitch I thought in France but
0: when you're talking about Farah Williams and you're talking about Kaz Carney, that's not talking about yes I agree but that's not talking about moving the side forward that's not with one eye on the Euros next year look This cloak of uncertainty, cloak of expectation hanging around an England team, that's not a familiar thing, is it? Let's hope for a result against Spain. That game is on Wednesday night at 9.15, and that's uh, before the USA and Japan round off the year's tournament. That one gets underway at midnight. So good luck to the Lionesses for that one. And then I think we'll have to reassess, won't we, ahead of Japan and the Olympics. We've spoken about some of the older generation of players, one of whom Katie Chapman, now retired, but she's been at this Razer Game event here at Stamford Bridge today. And Earlier, Flo caught up with Katie to find out her thoughts about the England squad and also to get the lowdown on what she's been up to today as well.
2: Katie, you've watched the games. What have you thought of their performances?
5: Yeah, I think... Um Obviously, the team's changed quite a bit. I watched the game last night, the team's changed quite a bit. I think he's, uh, Phil's trying to give the players minutes, which is great to give them that experience, obviously going into to major tournaments and stuff like that. A little bit inconsistent, I think, in terms of their performance. I'm sure he'll be a bit disappointed um, with that. But saying that, I think it's hard to, to go into an England camp. I think when you're used to playing club football, then you bring the whole players in, into an England camp and ask them to perform the way they do at the club. It's difficult. Because you've got to get used to playing together again and that connection back. But I think you've got a lot of good young talent within that team. I think Beth England obviously was one of the better players on the pitch last night, and uh, Lauren Hemp, another young inspiring talent. I'm sure once she's got a foot in that door now, that she she'll play a lot a lot of games. So I think it's uh, it's important that we just keep yeah developing and probably stay positive within all of that because it's hard when you're not playing so well um, for people to get on your back. So I think we've got to stay positive and keep backing the women's team
2: and a lot of the, the, the narrative in the media has been that England has regressed since the World Cup obviously that tremendous semi-final against USA where they just narrowly missed out how do you see it compared to the summer do you know what, I think it's hard I think international football is really hard he's obviously not
5: got the players there on a, on a weekly basis playing and training together I mean they're with the clubs other than that so I think bringing them together he's got to do the best he can I mean he's got good players there we have got a good team and yes we probably should be doing better than we are but I think um, it's hard when things are going well everyone's on the bandwagon when it's going bad they go the opposite way so I think it's hard as a player as well looking from my view that we need to stay positive and behind our team and keep
2: encouraging that because I think we've got the talent there. So I think we'll be okay going forward. There was also conversations about how players handle criticism. It's obviously, like you said, when everyone's on the bandwagon, the the narrative's really positive. It's about how exciting it is and the impact it's having as well. But at the end of the day, it's elite sport. You know, there's winners and losers. So as a player, how did you cope with the negative comments, the criticism, which I think for some of the players in the squad, that's a new thing for them?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's hard these days with social media.
2: I think um, you
5: can obviously see and read a lot. You're not just reading the paper now, comments made in the paper. You can see stuff on a regular basis. And uh, some stuff can be quite spiteful. I think the important thing as a player, I think these days, is not to read that thing and maybe to stay off social media in that instance when you're in that environment and not to read that sort of stuff. And if you do want to read it when you come out of then, then read it. But. I think you've got to take them things with a pinch of salt. I think everyone thinks they know football. Everyone that watches football thinks they know football, they know the tactics and that side of the game, but they don't really. They're just saying what they see. And that's the hard part, I think, about a player because you can have a good game and they're right behind you. You have a bad game, they're right on top of you. So I think it's, it's hard to deal with, but I think you've got to try and dismiss it somewhat.
2: Beth England, fantastic talent at Chelsea and you touched on her in the England squad as well. How exciting is she and obviously finally got that start that a lot of people have been waiting for last night? Do you know what? Beth has worked really hard to get herself to this place. I think coming to
5: Chelsea, she wasn't really planning games and she went on loan to Liverpool, which done her a massive favour. I think she went there and she was like, got the bit between her teeth. She wanted to prove herself and I think she did that. She's come back into Chelsea um, unfortunately, Frank Kirby's been out and she's had that opportunity to play and she's taken it. I think um, she's hard working. I think she deserves to be where she
2: is. I think she was one of the better players on the pitch last night and uh, hopefully she'll keep herself in there. Chelsea in a pretty good place now to go on and win the title. Are you feeling confident?
5: Yeah, do you know what? I'm confident because Emma Hayes is there. She's a great manager tactically, she's unbelievable. She's built a great squad there. I think this is the best squad I've seen so far at Chelsea. Even when you look at the bench, you're like, wow, what players is she going to put on the pitch? Um, And I think they've proved now that we've taken it seriously. We've never really made it to the Continental Cup final. So to get there and to win it this year um, and be in every major tournament going, including the league and in the FA Cup, I think it's looking good going forward.
2: And you're still involved with the club. You're an ambassador. What sort of um, role? What you know? What do you do in that role with the club? Many different things. Um, <laughs> it
5: could, yeah, it, into schools programmes. I mean, I did a Chelsea Challenge videos that go into school. It's ex- five minutes exercises that they can do in the classroom. So I've been involved in that. I do a lot of uh, marketing stuff, commercial stuff for the club. A lot of charity stuff for Plan International It's one of our partners and for me it's great it's great to get my finger in sort of all different places and, and speak to all different people and inspire young girls as well yesterday I we went to a festival at Cobham to inspire girls for International Women's Day which is great to see so many girls playing in in a league actually in girls teams now that you can go and join so I think for me yeah seeing and working on the other side of football and opening my eyes really, I think, to the business side of it. And that's what is great. I think new learnings and experiences are really good for me.
4: This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. I now know from the PFA that 48% of the professional players are of colour. So tell me, how many coaches do you see of colour? How many referees do you see of colour? It's not replicated because they don't think it's for them. So if you can't see it, you can't be it. And that's why we need so many more women bond models in every sector, and not just football, from sport. And my eyes have been opened hugely by what other sports are doing within the different fields of, of diversity. The
5: skills and expertise and experience that women can bring, very important. The same as men. It's not, um, we need to make the, le- the playing field level, but, We all have different perspectives, different experiences, understanding of what makes people tick, how to engage others, that's also essentially important.
4: And we want to make the workforce as inclusive and as diverse as possible. I've adopted a I don't care attitude. I don't care if someone doesn't like what I have to say. I don't care if I'm making people feel uncomfortable because my job isn't to make people feel comfortable. I use my voice to make a difference, to make the industry easier for people like you coming up, people like my daughter's generation
0: coming up. And as we said, we're down here at Stamford Bridge today. You've heard there just some of the people who shared their experiences here. Let's speak to organiser Troy Townsend and host of today's event. I'm very familiar, she is too, with the Offside Rule WSL show, Anne-Marie Batson. Let's find out what's been going on here today then. So, Troy, first of all, happy anniversary to Raise Your Game.
3: (laughs) Thank you. This is a
0: huge thing for Kick It Out, isn't it? Just tell us how the whole Raise Your Game initiative came about and why it did.
3: Um, I think it's more about providing people from underrepresented groups you know whether they're from the minority ethnic community whether they're females whether they're people of a disability you know the LGBT community just with a pathway you know when I was trying to get into football there was no scripted journey you know you either knew someone or you didn't or, and you were on the outside of that so I think what we're providing is that opportunity to bring like-minded people into a room with people that work in the game or can talk about the game very well And that journey has just continued. I'm a product of that and so I've got a unique insight which enables me to kind of tailor and put on events to match people's wants and needs. And I think the last two days now, we were at Sky Sports on Friday, and today is just exactly what it says on the tin. There's no real difference to it. It's just what it says on the tin. So empowering people to believe in a dream um, and making that dream become reality.
1: Off the back of International Women's Day, you've got a strong woman next to you and she's fronting everything today for the for the actual conference here at Stamford Bridge. So Anne Marie, what is it all about from start to finish?
4: Um, so the day is an opportunity to ask as many questions as you need to about your journey and what you need to do to achieve your goal. So we've got women right across the board here today, right across the ages as well I would say, and sports sports as well, who are just probably just starting out and have got they're slightly hesitant about what steps they should take to get forward into their journey so we've got workshops, we've got panels we had a brilliant panel first thing this morning about career t- transition, we had three fantastic women who started in completely different jobs and are now working in sport and then uh, this afternoon we've got a keynote speaker as well so, uh, Frampton. Janie Frampton as well and then another panel and
1: some more workshops
0: as well. And if you wonder why anne whispering it's because there's actual <laughs> stuff going on in the background <laughs> now and she's a lot more professional than me <laughs>
1: bellowing through.
0: It's of no surprise to any of our <laughs> listeners that we've been told to be quieter already. I, I
1: don't know if I can. <laughs> I, don't, I,
0: I, think, I think the main objective is not can we get through the podcast today, it's can we keep Lindsay Hooper from a my few few decibels. decibels.
2: <laughs> Hello. Hello. Troy, this is such a fantastic event and actually... The kick-out scheme is something, I. So the mentoring scheme is something I only heard about a couple of years ago, but I think why it's been so successful is because so many people who've met at the events have gone on to work together or provide opportunities for each other or even start businesses together.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think that's probably the thing that I take away more is that, you know, certain people come back year after year, you know, they come originally because they want that unique insight, they want to understand the business of football and how it can work for them and then all of a sudden they're coming back because they're actually working in the game. So that are offering the opportunity now to be mentors, you know, to help young people on that journey the same as what they've been on. And the power of what we do goes under the radar a lot because obviously people talk about all the stuff, you know, the negative stuff about the game and believe that we should be the ones making decisions and being the lawmakers. This is why I'm so proud of this product because actually it's something that, you know, raise your game that's what it's asking everyone to do and so many people have taken it on board and so many people have you know used it in their way to continue the conversation they have with mentors like today there'll be you know young women here today that will continue that relationship with some of the people that are working you know in and around sport today and and that's what we want we want that empowerment and that also that be able to continue a conversation that will benefit the journey and I think that's what makes this so important.
0: Troy a lot of focus on women today not just because it was International Women's Day yesterday but also a lot of focus on the women's game and on the WSL as well, so the She Believes Cup going on in the US at the moment. For female footballers and for women involved in football what are the areas that we still need to see improvement on? Where are we lacking? From your expert view, you, of course, work across many other mm. different areas, but you can take that really specific bird's eye view into it and go, actually, I can see that the women's game is still lacking in this particular area.
3: Yeah, I mean, goes without saying senior positions, you know, so women of influence in football, where are they? You know, you can probably count on one hand yeah, where they are. Rooms. Yeah, boardrooms. Yeah, exactly. I think that with that also comes women of colour, it's great that we see a more growing influence of women around the game from a media perspective, you know, and working in clubs like Sue Parish has spoken about today and her role in the clubs in the academies. And you'll often get women working in the academies, but why can't there be women working higher up, coaching at different levels? Why can't there be women working throughout the men's game at different levels? And why can't women be the decision makers? So, you know, I kind of, as a black man, I kind of reflect on it and mirror the, mirror the kind of, Where we are not represented as well, you know, and and put us all in that box and say, look, there's so much talent in that box, let's let it flourish, you know. But for that to happen, I think the game has to be more welcoming, more open, and also more open to change. And I'm not sure we're there at the moment, but definitely days like today show the talent that there is around. And hopefully, you know, that talent in years to come, maybe after I'm gone, but that talent may be the ultimate decision makers of the game.
1: I think because women's football is so far behind the men's game in terms of when it started out, the pause that happened due to the FA. I mean, people talk about the the 100 years behind. But you can actually switch it around in some areas and say, well, how come it's so advanced? You know, you look at LGBT+, and the amount of women's footballers in the game that are out and proud, and that's not happened yet in the men's. Do do you actually work out and work with the women's game to try and address that in the men's?
3: Well, unfortunately not, and that's all down to money and funding. Um, um, we're funded to work in the in the male, male game. We're funded to work across the academy environment. We try and do what we can in the female game, you know, but it's just we're so stretched as an organisation. There isn't any funding out there or there hasn't been funding put to us that will enable us to do that work. Although, from within, there have been many a club who said we'd love you to work with our women's team. So, you know, we have to look at it and think that the game is awash with money. Um, and I don't care, I'll openly say that. And actually it needs to apply that money into areas that actually where it would benefit for the longer term rather than the short term.
0: Well, there's also a benefit to the men's game as well because undoubtedly there are gay footballers out there. It's just that we're not hearing about them. They don't feel empowered enough to have a platform, whereas some of our female footballers do. So it's a really interesting comparison. Let's wrap up with Anne Marie. I always think what's nice about these events is that you'll have your sort of delegates walk in and they'll often walk out a few inches higher, won't they? I love that. There's it's generally because
1: they've got the same boots as anne Marie. <laughs> like, who's my? Can they, <laughs> all right, pretty, I'm going to describe my boots. High.
0: So I'm wearing about
4: four-inch I mean, white, are white <laughs> boots that come up my calf with a nice br- tan trim,
0: and they're bright white as well. Yeah, How did the, the weather coo- forecast this I morning? I did. The eight. shoe fetishists have gone mad at that news, Anne Marie. How um, big is the
2: f- um, shoe fetish demographic huge. among the audience? Wins, audience <laughs> is huge. Huge. You don't want to know too much. I
1: mean, keep on social media a bit you'll find they come out of the woodwork <laughs> especially if you've been on tv and the camera oh, happens to pound down, down a bit oh, anyway Don't even we, jest.
0: Oh, we okay. jest that's another
2: podcast
0: <laughs> So, Amory, the importance of you being here hosting today and also to remember that just because you're hosting this today, it doesn't mean that you've got this ready made fantastic career. It's it's still a personal fight for you and for other women in the game, isn't it?
4: I think that's a great way to describe it. It's still a personal fight. I've sent emails that people don't answer to and sent out messages that people don't respond to. What is I still with find it knocking on the doors. In all, I don't know, and in all seriousness, my my journey's far from done. I put out a post last week because I did some work with Troy last Friday and I said my journey's only really just begun. I haven't even scratched the surface yet. And friends and family say, oh, you're doing really, really well. And I was like, yeah, it's going okay, but it's not at the level that I like it to be because I'm highly critical of me. The one thing I did say at the beginning of today was please soak up as much knowledge from today as possible do not leave this room until you've got every one of your questions answered because we would not like it you walk out the door and you're walking down to the tube and going oh, i wish i asked this and why didn't i ask that take this opportunity a today coronavirus <laughs> i've come out I, and i didn't ask my question <laughs> i had to get the coronavirus in there somewhere um yeah very much so because these these are once a year opportunities even though we've got the race game later in april it's a bit more bigger and boisterous this is specifically for women and we know sometimes one or two we might feel a bit shy so this is a nice safe mm. space if you like for you to ask your questions and, and get your knowledge so yeah i think it's a fantastic day and i'm, I'm sure everybody will walk out here feeling a bigger about themselves and, and then they're an extra step in that journey
1: you're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition with Football Manager. Well, Let's start our look at some of the big stories from elsewhere this week with the news that broke on Tuesday. Birmingham confirmed that they had parted company with manager Marta Teodor by mutual agreement.
0: Yeah, the 51-year-old Chilean Peru women's national team boss took charge of the Blues in January 2019, so just over 12 months in the job. First-team coach Charlie Baxter will uh, take charge as interim head coach while the club search for Teodor's successor. The club did say in a statement, so this is from Birmingham City, that it believes the move is in the best interest of both parties. Flo, this is our first WSL managerial departure this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, Nick Cushing left, but I guess under slightly different circumstances. A bit more positive spin. But it was an interesting one. It was really only a matter of time. The writing was on the wall a little bit there. Obviously, lots of departures in the summer, big-name departures too. Ellen White being one of them, she probably would have left anyway because she had a great World Cup and she was looking to progress and play higher. But there were other other departures which they wouldn't have been so happy about and there was lots of discontent among the group. Some behind closed doors, some pretty publicly. There were some tweets from players after the defeat to Bristol City that didn't cover the coach in a a great light. And I think she had an interesting personality. I know some of the players weren't massively pleased with her style. How do you define interesting personality? Uh, I think there was a language barrier, first of all, which is obviously something that we see across football. It's difficult for managers coming in. I interviewed her her first match where they won um, away at Chelsea last season, Ellen White scoring that incredible winner in the last minute. And I thought, wow, this is going to be potentially a really exciting coach for Birmingham City to progress with. Unfortunately, she was replacing someone who was highly, highly regarded there and was part of the family. Really, a Brummy in and out. Birmingham was in his DNA, and that's a he hard. He was a hero, wasn't yeah, he? That Mark was, that's a hard spot to fill. And Marta has a very distinct style of play that she wanted the team to work with, and I, lot, some of the players probably weren't built for that. Look, she might have been the wrong appointment, and given what's been said
1: from the insider and publicly, as you've mentioned, you've got to think that there might have been a little bit to that. But I think whoever came in host Mark Skinner it was going to be a difficult task not just because of what he left behind but because of the raiding of the club that had happened for another season whereby they lose some of their biggest stars they had some key injuries I know at the beginning of the season carries Harrop who you need your captain there and, and she had to miss a few games I think it's been a difficult transitional period for Birmingham and as a club over the next two to three seasons it's going to be tough this isn't going to get any easier whoever comes in here can't expect to get Birmingham to the finals of cups again I think this is actually a putting out fires process and keeping them in the league first and foremost for the next two or three seasons look they've had two wins in their 13 league games um, they've scored only five WSL goals and that's the fewest in the top flight so there is definitely things to address. They are not
0: out of trouble yet that's for sure. There are some exciting youth players there and that will be a huge positive for whoever takes charge of the side full time. I'm not sure that we'll see that person before the beginning of next season though.
1: No but on a positive I do think that those very young players that came in at the beginning of the season and now we're talking in March, I do think they started to get a real grasp of the of the way that they were wanted to play, of playing with all the other the other um, team members around them because I, I don't think that's easy to work out what everybody wants you to do. I'm going quiet because I think things are happening in the background <laughs> at the Raise Your Game conference. So we're going to
0: lower our voice. If you hear some noises in the background, <laughs> you may be able to uh, get yourself some insight on being a woman in football. Um, if you tune out of us and tune into what's going on in the background... Well, let's contrast that news at Birmingham with great news at Everton, and perhaps a sign of what could be to come for more women's sides in the WSL and the Championship. It's been announced that the Toffees uh, are going to be increasing their investment in the women's game and setting out a new leadership structure to challenge for major honours. Say the club. This was announced in a press release on Saturday. The club intends to provide Willie Kirk, the women's manager, with more resources for squad development, all supported by a new strategic leadership team. That's headed by Everton CEO Professor Denise Barrett-Baxendale there's also going to be a new managing director as well as a new sporting and commercial director a flurry of roles I hope they're all going uh, to women it's the one club vision which really stands out to me in this one uh, Lindsay and great news for Everton
1: yeah you feel like this is a club that's making great strides in going forward in the game they are literally laying out their marker this is us we are here in the WSL and we want to make a real go of it Uh, this news coming just off the back as well of the news of their stadium move so they now have a new home at the purpose-built stadium of walton hall park which is less than a mile from goodison park all of these things happening and you'd think that they're lining up for something hopefully special a cup run whether it be a top four finish next season but you've got big expectations for everton because they're really backing this women's team they've got the heritage there as well haven't they flo to support this
2: yeah definitely i think their owner uh, Alicia Usmanov has got a big vision for the club as a whole. It's actually interesting that the person who's taking over the sporting directing role is his nephew, who's already been at the club in a global partnerships ca- capacity. And we do see that a lot in football, these sort of strange, random family hires where people seem to get shoehorned <laughs> well, into positions. At West Ham with Jack, Jack Sullivan. Yeah, that's fair, true. So. Uh, so hopefully he does a good job and he obviously has a big commercial vision there. And I think there's a massive opportunity and people need to take that opportunity from a commercial perspective not just on the pitch
1: whilst it's all positive for Everton uh, not so much for Arsenal not so much for us because we've been turfed out Um, (laughs) no we haven't really we we, have have evicted ourselves we've evicted ourselves there was a keynote speech and it felt like we were a little distracting at the back of the room so we've We've decamped. And at the point of the podcast where we're going to talk Arsenal injuries in the run into the title, for those of you that have missed this, Vivian Miedemar was sent back to Arsenal from international duty with the Netherlands. It was a precautionary measure, but she has got a niggling back and thigh problem and that's been continuing to cause issues. It might explain as well why she's been slightly off form compared to the beginning of the season. Tim Stillman, who's a friend of the podcast and on the show, has said that there are reports on blog now that it's not as serious as people might have thought but You've got to hold on to that. Um, however, it's not the only case. No, it isn't. By the way, there's a very large food
0: storage receptacle going into the lift right now. So if you hear a bing,
1: bing, <laughs> that's what's
0: going on. Um, Is there any so- food
1: left? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I know, Lindsay. Always on the lookout for a good buffet. And yeah, Midemar not the only injury concern with Arsenal. Certainly not. Daniela van der Donk limped off in the Netherlands. Nil-nil uh, draw with Canada. That was on Saturday night. Looks like it's an ankle problem. She was in tears, so clearly in a lot of pain. Jill Raw. She's another casualty as well. She pulled a thigh muscle in training with the Netherlands. Flo, this is not going to help Arsenal at all when it comes to the title race. Uh, in fact, you know, many had written them off already before all these injuries, to be fair.
2: Yeah, I think Joe Montemurro probably is has written off the WSL title for the moment but they're still in the Cup and they're still in the Champions League and that's the biggest worry they've got issues everywhere Beth Mead is out with a long term injury Kim Little's got her foot in a boot Jen Beattie's now got a new injury and she'd already been out for a while so there's young players stepping up but it's not ideal the Champions League was a really great opportunity for them PSG mm-hmm. is a winnable tie mm-hmm. with the with the team Arsenal have if they're fully fit and that's the problem is they did have a big squad and I know that that Tamura is not massive fan of the criticism of everyone saying that Arsenal have a tiny squad. It's not true. They started the season with a big squad and it's just been decimated through injury. Well, anyone in need of a reminder of that and this
1: growing injury list is huge. So you've got Katrin Veyer, Danielle Carter, Kim Little, Leah Walty. Beth Mead, who you mentioned, who's out and, of course, out of the Lionesses, she believes, Cup squad as well. Katie McCabe suspended for next weekend's North London derby in the FA Cup quarterfinal. And Jem uh, Beattie as well, who also didn't join it with the Scotland squad due to concussion. So Arsenal, a much weakened
0: squad. You mentioned the FA Cup, Lindsay. Let's look now as we approach the end of this podcast to this weekend's fixtures, those FA Cup quarterfinals. All four ties will be played on Sunday afternoon. That North London derby, Arsenal versus Tottenham. Brighton take on Birmingham. Everton play Chelsea and Leicester play host to Man City. Flo, are you heading over to one of these?
2: I'll be at Arsenal Spurs at Boreham Wood. Yeah, I hope there's going to be a good turnout because Arsenal's fixtures have been a little bit decimated as well, not only their injuries, but because of the storms, they had some exciting games that had to be moved and it did affect turnout, I think. So hopefully this will be a, an exciting North Island derby because the last North Island derby they got to enjoy it at Spurs' Stadiums, so it was fantastic atmosphere, great attendance. So hopefully they can channel a bit of that energy on, on Sunday.
0: Linz, who are you picking to go through from this? We did discuss it, didn't we? We did. I
1: don't think there's going to be any major upset. Um, I I know that for the underdog and those that like to see an upset in the cup, they'll all be behind Leicester against Manchester City, but I don't think that they'll get past that tie. I can see Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal all going through. Um, But I do think it's going to be tighter now in that North London derby with these injuries. And then between Brighton and Birmingham... This is arguably one
2: of the most interesting ties, but isn't it? are is we going to
1: see you know, the manager going, a, a
2: reaction to that? I, I might go Birmingham. I think it's also difficult when you've got players coming back from international duty and having to slot back in. Some players obviously didn't get the call-up, so they maybe will be fresher, although they haven't been playing for a while. So that's also a, a massive opportunity for the teams for coming and playing fixtures from the second tier because their players probably weren't on international duty and they might have had an extra week's training mm-hmm. together as Good a point. unit.
0: loving our new theme tune to any other business Uh, let's crack on with these then Uh, february quite the month for chelsea going unbeaten and winning the continental cup final and they've been rewarded in another way as well with the awards of manager of the month going to emma hayes and congratulations player of the month beth england
1: The PFA have announced on International Women's Day that they're going to create a women's football department to grow the game. Uh, They said they're having a dedicated women's football department because the game is growing at a very fast rate. And they want to ensure that the infrastructure in place supports the developing needs of the players. So important that that's happened. Yeah, good news from the PFA there. That's your lot this week thank you to kick it out who've hosted us
0: uh, and on this 10th anniversary rage your game event all focused around international women's day and we're hearing some pretty inspiring women talk today it's lovely to be surrounded by the football fraternity here isn't it and some it of is. our we might even catch the cohort. last bit of
1: the keynote if we're quick yes, absolutely
0: uh, big thanks to our sponsor football manager and uh, also to flo lloyd hughes who's joined us and very aptly just fitted in Yes, she has. She's a natural.
1: (laughs) Uh, We'll be back next week to reflect on the outcome, bless you, of the She Believes Club.
0: (laughs) That's a random stranger, by the way. (laughs) so bless you <laughs> uh, plus
1: all the other news in the world of women's football so head over to the website offsiderulepodcast.com for all of our latest shows and articles covering both the women's and the men's game yeah we've got Jesse Parker-Humphrey's
0: examination of a selection dilemma that Phil Neville uh, has got on his hands and many other pieces there too check us out on the socials at Offside Rule Pod. Flo thank you for joining us good
1: luck at the North London Derby hope that goes well thanks for having me guys and thank you listeners we'll be back next
2: week You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL Edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. Muddy Knees Media.